Alright, well good morning. Are you glad to be here? Amen. What a joy. Scott told me I only had an hour, so I've got to hurry. Alright, so uh, it is a joy to be with you. Thank you so much for the invitation. And uh, I, I'm, man, thank you for the worship. My goodness. Uh, if that doesn't take you to the throne of God, something's wrong. Amen? Amen. So uh, I am thrilled to be here today. Uh, I did have a dream last night that I came and preached, and um, I love Scott Lee to death. He's a dear friend, and Ronnie as well, and, and so, so many other people here. Um, but I had a dream last night that I came and got my Bible facts all confused. I woke up like, golly, did I say that? And I sort of reminded of the story, there was this young preacher that uh, was talking to this church about coming as their pastor, and the chairman of the committee asked this young preacher, said, well, son, do you know your Bible? He said, yes, sir, I know it well. He said, well, what parts? He said, I know it all. He said, well, why don't you tell us a story from the Bible? Like the story of the Good Samaritan. You know that story? Yes, sir. He said, well, tell us that story. But that young preacher said, well, there was a man of the Pharisees by the name of Nicodemus who went down to Jerusalem by night. And he fell upon stony ground. And the thorns choked him half to death. <laughs> when he came to his senses there in the pig pen, he said, what shall I do? He said, well, I shall arise. So he arose and he climbed up in a sycamore tree. <laughs> well, the next day, Solomon and his wife, Gamora, came by and uh, they carried him down. They carried him down to Samaria. When he got to Samaria, they saw Delilah sitting on the wall. And he said, Chunk her down, boys. And they said, Well, how many times? Seven? He said, Nay, but it was 70 times seven. So they proceeded to chunk her down 490 times, and she burst asunder in their midst, and there were 12 baskets of the fragments which remained. <laughs> that young preacher got to telling that story, and the chairman of the committee, he, he looked at everybody else, and he said, well, I don't know how y'all feel, but boy, he sure does know his Bible. <laughs> so uh, I just dreamed that I just got my Bible facts confused, but it is a joy to be with you. I want to share today with you a message that God is, I prayed about coming today, that God led me to. Um, it comes from 1 Samuel chapter 17. And it deals with facing the challenges of life. You know, sometimes life can be tough. Amen? Hey, everybody look. Watch this. I, I've said this for years. You, you may be on a mountain right now, but your life can change with a phone call. Amen? And so when that phone rings, and when, when life gets challenging, how do we deal with with the challenges of life. Jesus said in this world, you're going to have some tough times. You ever wanted to jerk somebody out of the TV box and just smack them? Now some of y'all looking way too holy. I'm pulling my pants up. I'm pulling my pants up because I'm on a diet and that's a whole lot better than the other option. But anyway. Um, but yeah, I was watching TV one day and there was this guy preaching and he said, if you give your life to Jesus, you'll have no more problems. That's just not scriptural. Amen. Jesus said, you're going to go through some hard times. James said, count it all joy when you go through the trials of life. So, so here's my question. When we go through the tough times of life, how do we deal with it? Maybe right now there's somebody here that's going through a, a tough time. Maybe a family situation, a health situation, a financial situation, a job situation. The list could go on and on and on. But how do you deal with the tough times of life? How do you deal with that? Uh, I, I heard about this lady who had this little bird. His name was Chippy. You may have heard this story. Uh, she had this elaborate cage that Chippy, her little bird, stayed in. And up in the top of that cage, she had a swing. And Chippy would sing and swing, sing and swing. And happiest little bird in the world. 
Well, one day this lady was cleaning out the bottom of Chippy's cage as she had done hundreds of times before with a high-powered vacuum cleaner. <laughs> and on the table right beside her was a telephone. And while she was cleaning that thing out, Chippy was singing and swinging and life was great. And, and the phone rang. And she reached for the phone. <laughs> Just like that, Chippy was sucked in. He was gone. I mean, singing and swinging and life was great. And then all of a sudden, he was gone. The lady told the other lady what happened. Tore into that vacuum cleaner bag. Dust and dirt went everywhere. But in that bag was Chippy and he was still alive. But he was so dirty. She did what any nice lady would do. She ran with Chippy to the bathroom and turned the faucet wide open and stuck him under it to wash him off. Folks, watch this. Chippy was singing and swinging and life was great. And just like that, he was sucked in. Now he was washed up. <laughs> she got him out from under the water. I told this story one time and I had a lady after the service. She said, I didn't like your story. I have a chippy. <laughs> but, but she got him out from under the water and the little bird was just shaking. And, and she said, he's going to catch pneumonia and die. So she reached under the, bath, the bathroom counter and pulled out a hair dryer and turned it on hot high to dry him off. Chippy was singing and swinging and life was great, but just like that he was sucked in, washed up, and blown away. <laughs> lady called her a few days later and, and said, well, how's Chippy? And here was her response. Chippy's still alive, but he's lost his song. He no longer sings and swings. And sometimes when we go through the trials of life, the tough times of life, when life sucks us in and washes us, washes us up and, and blows us away, how do we respond to that? How do we respond to that? We, we are all going through those times. 2003 for our family, my wife was diagnosed with cancer. 2003, I was pastoring a church in Greenville and everything in our world was great. And we were singing and swinging it. And just like that, the doctor said, I'm sorry, it's cancer. We went through chemotherapy, the loss of her hair, radiation, and all those treatments. I shaved her head when the hair fell out. But life was great, but just like that, something must have blown away. 2003, 2006, my dad was in Greenville Hospital with a heart attack, had a heart attack, was transferred there for heart surgery. My father-in-law was the floor above him, had been there 19 weeks. Neither one of them came home. My dad had heart surgery. He died in the operating room. I preached my dad and my father-in-law's funeral within just a few days. Life was great, but just like that, we lost both our dads. 2009, we were on vacation at Myrtle Beach. I love to play golf, and I was going to play golf on this Saturday. My wife and girls were going to do the beach thing, and they love the beach. And I, I had volunteered to cook breakfast that morning, so I was on my way to Chick-fil-A to do that. <laughs> and, uh, see, y'all are listening. I love it. Uh, but on the way to Chick-fil-A, my phone rang. It was my mom, and she had this panic in her voice. And she said, David, something's wrong at Francis's house. That's my mother-in-law. Godless lady I've ever met in my life. Francis Earl, godless lady I've ever met in my life. If I were to go to her house and I were to say, Miss Francis, let me tell you about this guy, Scott Lee. She would she called me Dave. My name's David. I hate when people say Dave. But, but she'd say, Now, Dave, if it's not nice, don't say it in my house. She wouldn't even like to talk about anybody. But but anyway, godless lady I ever met. And I see some of y'all, y'all were, you know, y'all getting this. But uh, she said, my mom said her house is on fire. Now, her husband died in 2006. 
And so we just picked up this little 73-year-old lady out in the front yard in panic mode. We're at Myrtle Beach. We started calling everybody we knew to get somebody there to be with her. We're throwing, when I get back, I turn the truck around on, on Ocean Boulevard, turn the truck around and fly back to the hotel. Kathy and the girls, we're throwing everything in the truck. We're packing up. We're making phone calls and we hit the road. Somewhere between Conway and Florence, we get a call that they found her in the house and she didn't make it. We get to the house. We drove straight there as fast as I could get there. and Police cars and fire trucks and yellow tape and news crews and... We stayed there until about midnight when they removed the body. The next morning they did an autopsy, called us that afternoon to the police department, and they said she had been murdered. It was a home invasion. I'm playing golf at Myrtle Beach. We're at Myrtle Beach singing and swinging, and life is great. Just like that, sucked in, washed up, and blown away. How do you get through the tough times of life? We, the church I was pastoring gave me time off and, 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 and to take care of my family. And, and I was sitting out on the back deck one day and, and I was just looking at my Bible and we had a, a funeral to plan and, and an investigation going on and my daughters at the time were much younger they became scared of the dark. What do you do? We, we didn't even own a gun. Man, I went and bought an arsenal. Come in my yard. You won't stay there long. But uh, um, <clears throat> I'm being honest now. I was called to be transparent. But my wife came out on the back deck with me one day and she looked at me and she said, um, Okay, preacher, how are we going to get through this one? How are we going to get through this one? What do you say? What do you say? And so I had pastored for 20 plus years and I, my wife went back in the house and I said, God, I've asked you many, many, many times over the years for a message for a congregation. But I've got to have a word now for my wife and my daughters. And God led me to 1 Samuel chapter 17. And that's what I want to share with you today. During the darkest time of our life, during the deepest valley we've ever gone through as a family, this is the passage God led us to. 1 Samuel chapter 17. It's a passage that probably most of you know, know well or you have known it. Uh, but, but it's a passage that, that really... Uh, during the most difficult time of our life, God led us through. Now picture this scene. It's, it's a valley. It's the valley of Elah. So there's a valley here, and, and over here's a hillside, a mountain, and, and over here's a hillside, a mountain, and, and Saul and the army of Israel is over here, and, and over here are the Philistines. And the Bible says in 1 Samuel 17 that, that they were ready to fight, and so they were going to come down in this valley and, and, and fight. Well, in this particular passage, we're introduced to this guy. His name is Goliath. He's almost 10 feet tall. Almost 10 feet tall. And, and, and he was a champion of the Philistines. And, and the Bible says that twice a day, Goliath the Philistine would come down into that valley and he would curse the men of Israel. He would curse them and he would mock their God. And he would challenge them. Send somebody down here and let's fight. If He defeats me, then we'll be your servants. But if I defeat Him, then you'll be our servants. This went on for 40 days. For 40 days. We, we see this here in, in this particular passage. But, but you look at this passage. Verses 8 and 9 of 1 Samuel 17. He says, choose a man. And let him come down here and let's fight. He says, I defy you in verse 10. I defy the armies. Send somebody down here. But I want you to notice verse 11. Verse 11 says basically that when this giant would make these statements that Saul and all of Israel 
Regardless of the translation you use, says they were dismayed and greatly afraid. That literally translated means they were terrified and had dwindling hope. Sometimes when you get sucked in, washed up, and blown away, you're terrified and, and there's very little hope. You see, I'm a man just like many of you, and, and oftentimes when things happen in our families, daddy will fix it, the husband will fix it, the man will fix it. But there's things that happen in life. I couldn't fix my dad and my father-in-law. I couldn't solve my wife's cancer situation. And I sure couldn't handle and fix and solve a, a, a murder. And so, he, here we have this giant coming here. And he, he, he says, I defy you. Well, we sort of get a commercial break in the story around verse 12 and 13. where We're introduced to Jesse's three sons. Jesse was this fellow who had his three oldest sons were up here in Saul's army. And he had a young son. And the young son's name was David. And the youngest son in biblical days, the youngest son took care of the animals. That was his job. Keep that in mind because we're going to come back to that in just a second. So the young son took care of the animals. From time to time, Jesse would send young David from home to go check on his three brothers. Go check on your brothers and bring me back a report. And, he, and, and young David would do that. And, and by the way, David, watch this. I think David, from my study, I think David was a little red-headed shepherd boy. Just picture this little red-headed boy. You say, well, where in the world do you get the red-headed part? There's two different times in chapter 16 and 17 where David is described as being ruddy. R-U-D-D-Y. Translated, ruddy means to have a reddish complexion. So in my imagination, I picture David as this little red-headed shepherd boy who was taking care of the animals at home. And so David, from time to time, would, would show up to, to check on his brothers. He would go back and forth. So around verses 17, 18, 19, 20, David makes his way to the camp. And, 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 and verse 23, it, picture this scene. It was about the time that David arrived to check on his brothers that Goliath came down the hillside and he began to curse and taunt and mock. Now, I grew up on a mill hill. And, and, and I like people to understand what I'm talking about. Here's the scene in my imagination. I, I think David showed up, Goliath showed up at the same time. And, and, and just like the passage says, when Goliath showed up, all the men in Saul's army ran and hid behind the rocks. They're, they're terrified and dismayed. No hope. They're hiding. But I think David showed up, and as David's standing there watching what's going on down in the valley, his brothers and all the men in the army are hiding. I can just picture this. This is my translation, okay? You take this in two dollars and buy Pepsi. But, 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 but I, I just picture David turning around and looking at everybody saying, what's up with this? What's going on here? And so David shows up. And David begins asking questions. Again, verse 24. It says, all the men in the army, all the men in the army fled. They were afraid. They were all running. Except this little red-headed shepherd boy. Verse 26, David begins asking questions. Watch this. David says, what will be done for the man that removes this disgrace? What will be done for the man that will be brave enough to come out of this camp and go down there and deal with this? What will be done? Well, everybody else is hiding. They're terrified. No hope. But David, a little red-headed shepherd boy, is asking questions. Now stick with me. I'm going to connect the dots with my family in a minute. David's asking questions. Word gets back to Saul before long. Somebody in the camp is asking questions about going down there and facing this giant. Saul says, bring it to me. Can you picture this when the little red-headed shepherd boy walks in and says, I'll take care of it. I mean, can you picture this conversation that, 
that took place. Verses 31-32. Okay? Verse 33. Saul saw David. He said, you can't go down there and face this Philistine. You're just a kid. You're just a child. In translation, it literally reads, you're just a boy. He'll kill you. He's, he's been a man of war his whole life. You can't go down there. Wow. In verse 34 and 35, David begins telling Saul about, well, I took care of my father's animals. And when lions and bears would come and take a lamb or a sheep, I, I would kill them. I'll take care of this Philistine. A little red-headed dude. He says, I'll take care of, of this Philistine. He'll be just like the lion and the bear. Wow. In verse 37, we see a beautiful picture of David's confidence. As he, he says, the same God, watch this, the same God that delivered me from the lion and the bear will deliver me from this problem. That's faith. From a little kid. While the men are hiding. In verse 37, the Lord will take care of me. God will be with me. So you know the story. Now stick with me. Around verse 40, you know the story. David takes his staff in his hand and five smooth stones out of the brook and puts them in his pouch. He takes his sling and he draws near the Philistine. When the Philistine saw David, verse 42, he cursed him. He had disdain for him because he was just a kid. And it's in verse 42 that you see that word ruddy again. He sees this little red-headed shepherd boy and he curses him. It, it makes him mad. And in verse 43... Goliath asked David, you see, he was insulted because the youngest sons in the families took care of what? The animals. That was what they, the youngest son took care of animals. And Goliath saw this kid, this little boy, and he says, Am I a dog that you send a child down here? And he says, I'm going to rip you apart. I'm going to feed your flesh to the birds of the sky. And, and so he cursed David, and he cursed David by his gods. And, and, and he tells him, come here, I want to feed you to the birds. And verse 45 is one of the most awesome statements in the Bible. David said, you come against me with a sword and a spear and a shield. But watch this. But I stand before you in the name of the Lord of hosts. You, you've got all the weapons formed against me. You've got a sword. You've got a shield. You've got shin guards. You've got a helmet. You, you, you've got it all. Well, I got God, and He's enough. Wow. Wow, what, what a statement there. He says in verse 46, the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and everybody's going to know that there's a God in Israel. Verse 47, he said, this battle belongs to the Lord. Well, get to the story, David. Verse 49, David puts his hand in his bag, he takes a stone and he slings it, and, and he hits the Philistine in the forehead. Now, he had a helmet on, but I think at this point, this is just my imagination, I think Goliath started laughing at him. I think he was laughing at this little kid and he threw his head back and he exposed just enough of his forehead. He had a helmet on. He exposed just enough Florida State had a helmet on, but that didn't work well either. But he had, he had just... Uh, I hope there's no Gamecocks here. But anyway, uh, moving right along. Uh, he, he hits him right here. And Goliath's knees fall. And he falls to the ground. Now, there's some humor in the Bible if y'all look for it. Some of y'all will miss this right here, I promise you. David didn't have a sword. The Bible says that he, he hit Goliath and Goliath fell. His knees buckled and he fell. David didn't have a sword. The Bible says David ran over, took Goliath's sword out, and cut Goliath's head off. This was a day in history David got a head. <laughs> See, I told you something. That was a terrible joke. <laughs> but but, but here's, here's the point. Now here, here, why 
my dad knew that story. Here, here it is. God, okay, you're showing me here in the darkest time of our life, David and Goliath. David and Goliath. We've taught children's church. We've taught children's Sunday school and Bible stories and small... David and Goliath. David and Goliath. David and Goliath. What are you trying to show me? To tell my family. My wife's in there. She needs to know what in the world's going on. God, what am I going to tell her? And here's what God showed me. Watch this. Max Licato wrote about this, by the way. Max Licato wrote about it. If you take your Bible, 1 Samuel chapter 17, and you take a highlighter, if you highlight the number of times in this chapter, watch this. Here, here it is. God, this is good. If you highlight in your Bible the number of times that David mentioned Goliath, you will find two references. Twice. Twice. In verse 26, David says, What will be done for the man that kills this Philistine? And in verse 36, David's talking to Saul. And he says, This Philistine will be just like the lion and the bear. Because he's defied the armies of the living God. Twice. Watch this, church. Two times. David mentioned the lion, his problem. The giant. But if you take a highlighter and you highlight the number of times in 1 Samuel 17 that David mentioned God, you'll find nine references. Nine references. Watch this. Verse 26, he says, the living God. Folks, our God's alive. Amen? He mentions the living God. Verse 36, he says, the armies of the living God. The one who has all the resources of heaven. Verse 45, there's two references. He says, I come before you in the name of the Lord of hosts. And the second one, he says, the God of the armies of Israel. There's two references in verse 46. He says, this day the Lord will deliver you in my hand. And at the end of verse 46, he says, that all the earth will know that there's a God in Israel. And then the final references are in verse 47. He says, the Lord saves not with sword and spear. And then he says, the battle, our battle, belongs to the Lord. And in the ninth reference in, in verse 47, he says, God will give you into our hands. Folks, watch this. David's God thoughts outnumbered his Goliath thoughts 9 to 2. 9 to 2. His focus was more on God than on the problem. When you and I get sucked in, washed up, blown away, when our world caves in, when your wife looks at you and says, okay, preacher, how are we going to get through this one? God, how are we going to get through this one? And he leads me to David and Goliath. And I'm like, God, I don't, I don't get this. And then I begin to dive into this. And I begin to study it. And, I, and God shows me that David's God thoughts outnumber his problem thoughts nine to two. And the question we have to ask ourselves is when we get sucked in, washed up, and blown away, what are we thinking about? My job, my job, my job, my job. My finances, my finances. How am I going to pay those bills? My health, my health, my health. What am I going to do? Relationships, relationships. You go to bed, it's the last thing on your mind. You toss and turn all night long. It's on your mind. You wake up in the morning, it's like, God, i got to deal with that again. What, what David showed us here, the example God gave us here, is, 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 is we have to ask ourselves the question, when we go through the challenging times of life, is our focus on our problem or on our God? Is our focus on our problem or on our problem solver? How are we going to get through this, preacher? By turning our eyes upon Jesus. Looking full into His wonderful face. And the things of earth 
will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. Wow. Well, what, a, what an amazing, amazing passage. You see, here, here, here's what God showed me about this. Watch this. I've been doing this 29 years, but here's what God showed me from that passage. This is not, 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 not a story, a passage about David and Goliath. That's, that's what we teach to our children. Let me tell you about David and Goliath. This is not about David and Goliath. Watch this. This is about God focus versus problem focus. And we have to ask ourselves, where is our focus? Where is our focus? Where is our focus? You see, David refused to see what others saw. While all these men, including his brothers, were hiding, David said, this is easy. God can handle this. A little red-headed shepherd boy. My God is bigger than this. My God is bigger than this. Wow. You know, at various times in our lives, church, every one of us gathered here today will face giants. At various times in our life, every one of us here, we're going to get sucked in, washed up, and blown away. You could be singing and swinging, and life is great. But just like that, your world can change. How do you deal with it? We can focus on our giant problem, or we can focus on a giant God. You see, we all have giants in our life. Every one of us here today, everybody in this room has a giant in your life. <coughs> Every one of you. For, for me and my family, it's still an unsolved murder. 2009. <coughs> 2009. It's 2018. It's an office. It's one of the few unsolved murders in Oconee County. A godly lady who lived on Brookwood Drive in Seneca, South Carolina, went to Ingalls to get groceries, came home, and they believed somebody was waiting on her on the carport. They slit her throat and shot her in the head. And then they put her in her house and they covered the evidence. They burned. They burned the house. The firemen come in and they're putting out a fire. They're blowing through. They're doing what they're supposed to do, and, and they're putting out a fire. There's smoke and fire and water everywhere to destroy evidence. You see, we have a giant in our life. And every single night since 2009, my wife prays, God, I pray for the law enforcement that You will give them new technology to sort through that evidence and find who killed my mama. And then she says this, But God, I thank You for the grace that is sufficient for the trials of life. I thank You for the peace that transcends all human understanding. For the grace and for the peace. And, and, and you see, even though she got sucked in, or we got sucked in, washed up and blown away, she hadn't lost her song. She's still praising God for His goodness because His grace is sufficient. And the reason and the way you get through the challenging times of life is you cannot dwell down here in the valley of giants, you have to dwell focusing upon a giant God. How do you get through the challenging times of life? You focus on God. As we wrap up here today, our time is about gone. Here's three things that we're through. Three questions. Here's what I want you to do. Number one, everybody in here has a giant in your life. Everybody in here has a, a giant in, in your life. There's sickness, disease, cancer, finances, making ends meet financially, unemployment, paying bills, jobs, family issues, divorce, depression, anxiety, addiction, alcoholism. 
You fill in the blank. The giants are real. You fill in the blank. So here's the first thing I want you to do as we close. Number one, identify your giant. Identify your giant. How in the world do I identify my giant, David? When you go to bed at night, what's on your mind? When you toss and turn during the night, what's on your mind? When you wake up in the morning, you say, God, I've got to deal with that today. What is it? What is it? We all have giants in our life. Every one of us. So identify your giant, number one. And number two, here's what I had to do. The second thing after you identify your giant is ask God to forgive you. You say, well, that's strange. No. Ask God to forgive you for focusing more on a giant than on a giant God. Amen? Because what we do is we focus on our problems and not our problem solver. Did you hear that? We focus on our problems and not our problem solver. Nine to two. I've played ball my whole life. I tell people many years and many pounds ago. But nine to two, David's God thoughts outnumbered his problem thoughts. Nine to two. That's what a little red-headed shepherd boy taught us from this passage. This is not David and Goliath. This is God focus versus problem focus. And what I told my family, I sent my wife and two daughters down on the couch and they said, I said, all right, you ask me how we're going to get through this. Here's what God showed me. We're going to focus on Him and not our problem. We're going to focus on Him and not our problem. So number one, identify your giant. Number two, ask God to forgive you for being more problem focused than problem solver focused. And then the third and final thing that we're through is would you make a commitment today that when you walk out these doors that from this day forward I'll be a giant slayer? No more will I allow giants to control my thoughts and to dominate my thoughts and to rob me of peace and joy and rest. Identify your giant. Ask God to forgive you for allowing that giant to distract you from focusing on Him. And then make a commitment today that from this day forward, I'll be a giant slayer. You see, David was a little boy that went before a king and testified of God's goodness and God's power. A little red-headed shepherd boy didn't see an obstacle. He saw an opportunity. While the men were hiding, David said, God can handle this. David's a little boy who lived more God-focused than giant-focused. And, and he's a little boy that taught us that our God's bigger than any problems in our life. Amen? I want you to bow your heads. We close. With heads bowed and, and eyes closed, nobody looking around, I want to ask you a question. Have you identified your giant? Raise your hand. I've identified my giant. Hold him up. Hold them up high. Hands, arms up all over this room. I've identified my giant. I know what it is. Second thing is ask God to forgive you for focusing more on that giant than on your giant God. And then thirdly, pray, God, from this day forward, when I walk out these doors, I'll live God-focused. And the giants will have no control over me. Father, Thank you for an amazing passage of Scripture that we've taught our children from when they were just old enough to understand that our children can tell you about David and Goliath. But God, some T-bone steak from this story is for mom and dad and grandma and grandpa is, is yeah, this is about David and Goliath, but it's really about living God-focused and not problem-focused. And God, we do go through tough times in this life, challenging times. But God, as we go through those challenging times, help us the next time we get sucked in, washed up, and blown away to remember 
Our God is bigger than any problem we face. Father, today hands went up all over this room. God, I pray today that you, every single person that raised a hand, Father, that you'll minister to, that, Father, you wrap in your loving arms. And God, may they make that commitment today to turn their eyes upon you, to look full in your wonderful face. And when we do that, the things of earth, the giants of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of your glory and grace. Thank you that you're a giant God. In Christ's name, amen. God bless you. Thank you so much.